I want to do, this is the, these are the rules. I want to do a lightning round. A lot of material to get through. So can you behave yourselves? That's the question. I'm going to ask three rounds, if I can, a question, and only the person I'm asking can answer it, unless you really, really want to. I'm leaving your judgment there. Okay? You guys ready? Short answers. So that's not a rule. It's a, pro it's a proverb. Davidi and Jonathan have a very interesting relationship. <laughs> They've been going on for a long time. It's, it's, it's a proverb. You know, like, ordinarily do this. There's going to be an exception. They had to share a desk in high school. It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thabita, let's start with you. Short answers, like minute or less answers. Now we can get through a number of these. What can elders do? They're going home. What can elders do to increase mission support and healthy convictions about missions in their congregations? So we're going home now. What, what, what do we do? Let's do this, guys, to fire your congregation up. That's the topic of my sermon. <laughs> Look at that. It's a short answer, brother. <laughs> to be followed by a longer answer. I didn't, hear said, I didn't hear what he said. I didn't hear what you said, and I'm fine with that. Um, I'll accept that answer, though. John. Uh, Mark talked about praying through the directory, praying for other churches, and cultivating this culture of missions. What are some of the things you do to cultivate a, a care for missions in your church? Can I answer Thabiti's question really briefly? Yeah, sure. Because sure, there are no rules. Well, this, then, then, this, then this is the answer. This is, your, this is it. And uh, I'm going to Chuck. It, it occurs to me that if, if you preach expositionally, uh, then you're going to train your church that the symphony of Scripture is leading toward the glory of Christ among the nations. Uh -huh. And that, better than anything else, I think, is going to move people to give more sacrificially and train the church to think more globally. So expository preaching, I think, is the way you become a missions-minded church. Excellent. Thank you, brother. Uh, Chuck, how can small churches who don't have big budgets support missions and missionaries? A couple of ways. Let me talk to you, those of you who are Southern Baptists, as we do our giving through the cooperative program, uh, that does allow us to do that. But what I would say to you is just giving is insufficient. You give because we believe in what we're doing and we know the people that we're supporting. So you, you have to get outside of your own little system to get to know the people you're supporting. The, the rest of us, uh, there, are, there are missionaries all over the place that we can get to know. Uh, we can connect with other churches that are, that are doing these things. Some of these churches represented up here uh, will be very happy to help you connect with other people. Look around and see the, the needs in your community. Start there. Find out the international folks in your community. God's bringing the people there. Figure out who they are. Get to know them. Love them. Share the gospel with them. We can all do that. Thank you, brother. Uh, Andy, what are good ways and bad ways to do short-term missions? What types of activities and trips should we do? What should we look for? What agencies are good to work with? Good to work with them? And because I'm going to give you his minute that he took he in his short, concise, helpful he answer. squandered. You can take two minutes to answer I, that. I yield my, my time to the right. gentleman from Texas. Oh, but, but your questions are longer than the answers. <laughs> Touche. I'll, I'll grant you that. Um, give, us, give, us, 
Give us the, the, the short-term missions wisdom speech for this the, conference. The good way to do short-term missions is to be serving long-term missionaries on the field and actually doing stuff they really want you to come. No, really. You really want us to come do that? Really. They really want you to come do for them. The bad way to do it is to make your missionaries your travel agent to, to facilitate the stuff that you want to do from your church. Inspire your church members, make them pay the price. Yeah. You want to see that waterfall. Yeah, yeah. We, we just, we want to, and even if it's more godly, like we want to have a missions experience that will inspire our congregation to love the nations. Well, your missionary is trying to learn a language. They've got a family. They're discipling people. They really didn't sign up to clear their schedule for 10 days so that they can give you this missions experience. So now they may want to do that because they love your church. They're from your church. So that's fine. But making sure you know the people that you're going to do stuff with and that you're actually serving them, not serving yourself, which then presumes that you actually are building relationships with people overseas where they know you well enough that they can say, hey, I really appreciate it. You know, the government's cracking down on churches right now. Really not a great time to have, you know, 15 foreigners wandering around. You know, why don't you just send an elder to come visit us? Babysitting example and how that's helped uh, give your church a good reputation among them. So one of the things that helped our congregation begin to get connected to work overseas was kind of like Chuck was mentioning about the, the IMB. There's, there's, the, there's folks that work for the International Mission Board in particular who love to try to connect churches to opportunities to serve. And that's kind of how we got started. Mark went to, to preach at a, a, a meeting of missionaries and a couple of us went along with him. And then a year or two later, we sent several members of our church just to watch the kids of the missionaries so that the husbands and wives could be in this meeting, gather, hear preaching. Uh, not the coolest thing to do, you know, traveling halfway around the world just to watch kids and change diapers. You know, it's not as fun as some things you could do, but it genuinely served the missionaries. And uh, yeah, I think, I hope over time, it began to build a reputation for our church that we were happy to do sort of unexciting things that genuinely serve missionaries. And uh, I think that's been, I hope it's made our church have a good reputation among the people we support. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Mark, what is the wrong way and what is the right way to preach and make prayer announcements about missions? Think of your concern on guilt and so forth and Right way and wrong way to preach about missions. Well, I, I, I like answers that have already been given about what John said about preaching scripture. You see that the overarching plan of God, like I tried to do for about 10 minutes in my message yesterday, running through from Genesis to Revelation, the overall plan of God is to get glory to himself in all the nations. Isaiah 49, it's too small a thing for me just to redeem the tribes of Jacob. Uh, you know, I want you to be a light to the nations. <clears throat> so hold it out, hopefully. Uh, not so much use guilt uh, as a way to drive people. Um, I thought, I thought, like Tripp last night in Romans 10, I didn't feel that was guilt at all. I felt he did exactly what you know Paul was saying in, in Romans 10. He came up to the line. I don't think he went over it. I think it's very easy for us to start talking about how many thousands of people are dying every minute, every hour. So really, should you be you know a plumber where you are, or shouldn't you really leave where you're doing to go? Well, that's, that's, you're more climbing up in God's room there. That's not your business. The, the place I always go to to talk about this with 
brothers that I feel may be tending to use guilt too much is Acts chapter Acts chapter 16 hold uh, is Acts chapter 16 when the Lord calls Paul to Macedonia and it's very interesting in verse uh, 7 and when they had came, when they'd come up to Mysia they attempted to go into Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them now if I were some mission speakers I've heard I would start going what about all the people in Bithynia these people are going to die without ever hearing the gospel. Well, that may or may not be. There might be other evangelists who are going to, you just don't know all that. The Lord knows that kind of stuff. Do not use guilt like that to try to move people to make specific decisions. Thabidia, as, as we're thinking about the people in Bithynia or the people on the desert island, how, brother, you are usually so pastoral. He was on an island and there wasn't any desert to it, amen? That's true. <laughs> I feel like I've seen this coming up in the, the blogosphere more and more lately, like answers to the desert island question. Can you instruct us pastorally, uh, how do we respond to that question with the young Christian who's struggling with it? But, but, but what about the person who's never heard on the island? Just model for us a good answer. Make sure I understand your question. You're asking me how to respond to the person who's raising the objection. Uh, Can the person on the, God, the desert island who's never heard the gospel actually go to hell? Right. And I'm assuming we all share the same answer to that question theologically, mm -hmm. that, the, uh, that the person who's never heard the gospel, as, as Tripp preached last night, will not be saved. Yeah. Um, I assume we all think that. I'm asking you to help us talk about that in a pastoral, loving way. Yeah. to the younger Christian in your church who's struggling with it? Well, at first I think I'd want to say to the person, uh, there are two ways to ask that question. You can ask it either with a broken heart, with concern, genuine concern, for that person going to a Christless eternity. Or you can ask that question as an accusation against God and, and as something that uh, saps missions and evangelistic zeal. And I'd want to know which way they're asking the question. Right? Because if, if God is already moving them with a broken heart to be concerned about that person, then, then we're having a conversation about the possibility of calling and, and how to support the work of missions and prayer and all those things that should go into it. If they're raising the question as an accusation against God, then I, I kind of want to go to places. I want to go to the scripture. And I want to go to places like Romans 9. I'm going to take them to the even deeper end of the pool um, and say, look at the first few verses of Romans 9, Romans 10. Uh, here's Paul weeping over his kinsmen according to the flesh and going so far as to say he wishes he could be cut off that they might be saved. And I'd want to challenge them a little bit as to whether or not that's their heart, right? And then I want to say, well, how does Paul resolve that? Paul doesn't resolve that by saying God's unfair. Paul, God, Paul resolves it by saying God is sovereign. And that's probably going to make their, their angst more acute, but it puts, it puts the problem inside the character of God Mm -hmm. uh, and inside the prerogatives of God, and that's where it needs to be resolved. And just sort of walk through Romans 9, Romans 10, and say, no, actually, we can trust God to do all things well. Uh, he, he will save all he has appointed to salvation. The means for that, uh, as Tripp told us last night, is sending and preaching and so on. And it's our concern not to play God or accuse God, but to serve God uh, and to go with the message and to make it known.
So I'd want to redirect them as best I could. In that See, and I would just want to say, when, when you're preaching, you got to make real clear, nobody goes to hell because they don't hear the gospel. Yeah, that's right. They go to hell because they sin against God. That's the only reason anybody ever goes to hell. I understand in a secondary sense, a lack of causation, what you mean when you say people, you know, go to hell because they don't hear the gospel. And, and you know, certainly positively, like we were thinking Romans 10 last night, if you want people to be saved, they do have to hear the gospel. That's true. But the, the way that that can get confused is people can think the only sin that really is hell-worthy is hearing and rejecting the gospel. When that is not true, go back to the Garden of Eden. Let's just start there. Every sin deserves God's judgment. People go to hell because they sin. There's no lack of moral ground for God to judge us merely because we have not heard the gospel. That's not true. So we got to be very clear on that in our preaching. I'm saying that especially to the preachers here. Amen. And, and just to take the, the, the metaphor, the context of the question, that sin is present even when you're on a deserted island by yourself. Adam and Eve, for all intents and purposes, are on the planet by themselves. They sin against God. Right. That, that's our, our most fundamental problem. See, I knew you would answer that, not just as an apologetics intellectual question, but as a pastor, thinking about the person's heart. Okay, well, if they're here, or if they're there, I so appreciate that, brother. Uh, John, what are specific ways to support missionaries on the field beyond money and prayer? Visits. Uh, we have been visited by a number of elders from churches that have supported and prayed for us and have been enormously benefited by that. There are other ways that we can partner. We have partnered with churches in the United States in a whole range of issues. Uh, for example, we have put on conferences. We have trained other pastors in the region, and we've done that together. So, Thank you. Uh, Chuck, any wisdom on good and or bad ways for local churches in the United States to partner with sending agencies. Yeah, do this, first, don't do that. Well, first of all, I think there's value in, in partnering with sending agencies because we can always do more together than we can do by ourselves. I think you need to make sure you vet the agency, that you don't just assume that because they're sending and because they call themselves a mission sending agency, that they necessarily agree with where you are theologically or methodologically, so you certainly want to check that out. Uh, I would also say that uh, as you do that, you go as a, as a partner, uh, and that is that quite often the agencies with whom you work, they've, they've been on the ground, they've done the hard work, they've, they've plowed the soil, so they, they know the, the dangers, they know the, the, the roadblocks. Uh, go in as a learner as a, and a partner to do it together. Uh, Andy, how do you, does your congregation commission and affirm missionaries in the sending? More largely, what do you do to help the members of your church get to know the missionaries they're sending? So you're assuming like, you're assuming a member of our church is gonna be sent out by the church. Yep. I mean, at one level, I think we're going to want them to be somebody who's known by the congregation to start with because they have such a deep ministry in the congregation. They're discipling people. Maybe you know, they have some, some ability to teach. They're, they're known by the congregation. So, 
So I don't know that I'd want to try to manufacture that in one sense. I, I think if there's, a, if there's a person who's in our church that nobody really knows them, I'm probably not going to send them out as a missionary. Now, once somebody seems like they're, you know, they're, they've got the, the maturity, they want to be sent out, we're going to do that. I think we're also going to look for ways to get them up in front of the congregation, to give them some opportunities to teach in a, you know, in a class, to teach a Bible study, to lead a small group. We're going to be praying for them. Hopefully the church is going to be aware of their intentions and desires so that people are praying for them. So, it, yeah, it's, it's going to be more recognizing somebody who's an especially fruitful member of our church and then trying to send them overseas. Uh, so I think they're already going to be known in some ways. Thank you, brother. Uh, Mark, I remember when I f felt called to leave my job as a journalist and go into full-time vocational ministry. At that point, I was thinking preaching. You said two things to me. First, you said, Jonathan, the call to ministry is both internal and external. And second, you said, not yet. Let's keep watching you as a church. Now, recognize I'm giving you an opportunity to mock me. What were you thinking? Yeah. That would be generally helpful. Uh, I was thinking that you uh, needed a little bit more time in the oven, spiritually. Uh, Jonathan had been a member of our church and was uh, not obviously regenerate. And then he was truly converted and his character very obviously changed. And it was not that long after that he began to feel desires for the ministry. And I thought because of his gifts with words, he probably would be used in the ministry, but I thought he just needed a little bit more time to bake, seriously. And um, the fruit of the Spirit was already very sweet in his life, but I just thought... The brother could use another year or two. So this internal, external call, what, what's Well, that? I was just thinking that your internal call could be, certainly was sincere, and could be accurate, but the timing could be off. So therefore, as the senior pastor holder of the external call, you know, I was going to like veto any action on your internal call until I thought you were a little more ready to go. So the general takeaway principle here is just well, because the, the, people have desires... Desires are wonderful. You know, Paul tells 1 Timothy 3, 1, that you, it's a noble thing to desire the work of an overseer, of an elder. That, that's great. But uh, I think with a lot of Southern Baptists, a lot of times we have the idea, if you have a subjective sense of call, the big man upstairs giving you a thumbs up, you go do it. And I just think that's false. That is just false. Uh, I, I often, as a pastor, have to have people telling me, people tell me, God told me to do this. And I just like the beat. He said, no, he didn't. You know, <laughs> nope, that's not true. I've had somebody come up to me at the church where I served in England and tell me right before the morning service, uh, I am Cyrus and I am to address the congregation. God has told me to. I said, Cyrus who? He said, Cyrus in the book of Daniel. Let's step outside. I literally took the man outside. I said, well, I'll tell you what, God uh, has given me authority in this congregation and he has not told me that you're supposed to speak here today. So I think you got the wrong church. So why don't you go find the church where you have authority and then you speak to them, but you're not speaking here. Well, I think we just have to not be intimidated by people's claims, as good-hearted as they may be, that God has told them to do something. See, see, in Jonathan's case, I wasn't worried that there was, you know, a wrong pride in that, which there can be sometimes, because Jonathan had quite a sweet job. He was the editor of a, of a very significant magazine. What Jonathan was doing, I think, was feeling the Lord having made him to do the kind of teaching work that, that he does as an elder. But it was just early. 
And I, as, the, as a man who just loved him, I just wanted to see, I think, I think we need a little bit longer to test your gifts, to your character, to see you develop. So it was not out of a desire that he not do that, but it was out of a desire that he succeed. And I understand that we are not always the best guides of ourselves. We're an essential part of guiding ourselves, but by ourselves, we're not sufficient. Thank you, brother. We're basically out of time. I have a bunch more questions I could answer, uh, ask, but... Uh, well, <laughs> that was we all know yeah. we are. So it's so, time for a 15-minute break. Uh, I, I do, let's all go uh, get a cup of coffee, guys, and let's John will be in uh, 15 and 14 I, minutes now what I, what, I fail, what I failed to do, what I failed to do okay. at the beginning of my questions <laughs> is to give you guys an opportunity to uh, reflect on Chuck's sermon at all. Brother, thank you for your sermon. I went from that giveaway and I got straight into that. Thank you for that sermon. Again, a clear exposition of scripture combined with your own life experience and wisdom and the exhortation to pray was just, was right on. Gosh, why don't we pray? Well, we don't pray in general, you know, much less for this. Any other reflections on Chuck's sermon? Chuck, I really appreciated your, your exhortation to to pray specifically for missionaries, for courage, you know, for boldness, for fruit, uh, not just pray when there's a crisis. And, and I just appreciate you giving this talk. I mean, I think all these guys up here are preachers. Sermons on prayer are really hard to give. Everybody knows they should. It's pretty simple. But I thought you did a, a great job of just clearly from the text telling us things that are, are good principles that I hope we'll, we'll put to work in our lives. What I appreciated, Chuck, was the... Uh, I appreciated the comparison between Colossians and Ephesians. It's beautiful to see the similarity there, but also the differences. In one of them, he prays that, asks that they would pray that he would open his mouth. In the other one, the prayer is that the Lord would open a door. Right there, you see beautifully divine sovereignty and human responsibility held together. Thank you for that. Yeah, I just um, felt adjusted and convicted that you were giving a, a bigger vision for prayer in the life of the church as Christians and situating prayer for missionaries inside that life and that vision in a way that I had not thought about well before and uh, in a way that therefore I'm not sure I've been transferring to the congregation uh, well. Um, so I feel immensely helped. I think I'm going to send you a talk to the church and see if we can get some conversations started. Chuck, I think your point about reactive versus proactive is right on. How easy is it for all of us just to pray reactively? Like, okay, what kind of, how can I constrain myself, discipline myself to be proactively praying uh, for this thing? It's just not, Operation World obviously is a good way. I think a lot of us have, have learned how to do that a little bit. Mark, I feel like you do that in your pastoral prayers. What, what do you do there? Uh, so in our morning service, we've had a 10-minute pastoral prayer where me or one of the elders will lead in prayer. Usually it's the elder who's preaching. Uh, and we will tend to go through. I, I, I don't have anything I make anybody else do, but what I do when I prepare my prayer, I'll take about 45 minutes to prepare notes for it, and I'll just try to walk through uh, the kind of stuff that are, we're preaching on from the text. I'll pray for intercession. Uh, I'll pray for those in authority. So we'll pray for our nation. Um, people who are in leadership, and I pray for members of our congregation by name, those who've gone out from us to preach the gospel, 
uh, often persecuted Christians. Pray for churches to be established around the world. Pray for two or three or four different countries. Uh, then I'll come back to America, pray for some general characteristics of Christians, and then I'll get back to our congregation specific, uh, and I'll basically pray through the points of my sermon. I don't tell them that's what I'm doing. But so that's trying to pray proactively. Yeah. Anything else you got to say? This is our last panel. Anything else you got to say? You got one minute. Then we get a 10 minute break. Anything you're dying to say? Good book recommendation. Oh, yeah. Tom Wells wrote a book called A Vision for Missions, published by Banner of Truth. Tom Wells. Yeah. Vision for Missions. It is excellent. He, he talks about what motivates us for missions is not finally that we love the people overseas, but rather that we're motivated by the glory of God. That's what will keep missionaries on the field during the hard times. Just picking up on Chuck's message today, D.A. Carson praying with Paul. He goes through all the prayers of Paul in the New Testament. I think all of them, certainly most of them. Uh, and he expounds them. So he exegetes them, but then applies them. That's praying with Paul. It used to be called Call to Spiritual Reformation, but it's a new edition, uh, Praying with Paul. John O's book on prayer is excellent and sort of praying together congregationally. So we're doing book recommendations. But the other thing sort of connected to what you're saying that I loved about um, Chuck's message was he, he really was situating prayer. He's asking the question whether or not we like Jesus. And if we like him, we'll talk to him. Uh, again, it's just one of those helpful adjustments, uh, sort of calling us not simply to pray more, but to pray as an expression of a, of a warm life together with Christ. And, mm -hmm. So thank you, brother. Appreciate you.